Iowa everywhere. All right, boys, it's game day. Let's go. Let's go. Big game. Got a big game today. My package has arrived. Oh, sweet. Nice. Skull! Great win, fellas. What game's next? G-Men are having a great year. Let's go, Blue! Here we go. Primetime football. Texans, Dolphins. Let's do this. Yes! Review. Yes! Yes! Heartland flags. Every sport, every team, every flag. Every team? That's right. Fine, fine. I'll get a Washington flag, too. Find your flag and so much more with fast, free shipping. Heartlandflags.com. Every sport, every team, every flag. Almost. Loyal sons forever true. Go Cyclones. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seed Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere. Thank you for popping into Episode 8 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. My name is Chad Leistico, sports columnist for the Des Moines Register, as always, and we are coming to you live, as always, from the Channel Seed Studios. Uh, there's a strange vibe around the Iowa football program right now. The team's sitting about as good as we could have expected at 4-1 and one through five games so far and coming off a resilient 26-16 to 16 win against Michigan State. But there's certainly worry that this season could go down the tubes quickly as injuries mount. The latest being quarterback Cade McNamara lost for the season with a torn left ACL. With Iowa only a slight home favorite over a 2-3 and three Purdue team, those concerns are certainly shared by oddsmakers as well. To dig into the importance of this week's game, as well as some breaking news from earlier today and some stuff from last night, too, uh, I'm thrilled to welcome in my friend Scott Docterman of The Athletic, as always. Scott, hope you are well, busy with basketball media days this week, and now some scheduling news this morning from the Big Ten, future opponents for the next five years. How are you holding up? <laughs> I feel like I'm, uh, I've just approached – Naperville at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday or so. Um, you know, it's been a crazy morning um, being on with Tony Petiti and Kerry Ketty from the Big Ten and going over these schedules and the principles and and really not much has changed from the the way they put these schedules together. Uh, but the schedules themselves changed dramatically. And the the, the key takeaway, um, and I know we won't go too deep into this, but the key takeaway is that uh, instead of playing every team, at least home and away, once every four years, it's once every five years uh, by adding Washington and Oregon. And then Iowa's schedule changed dramatically. Um, of the original nine opponents that were announced back in June, um, only four. Uh, remain the same. Three of them are the permanent opponents and then uh, a trip to, to Columbus, Ohio. Yay. Um, <laughs> next year, the rest of them, um, 
they're going to UCLA. They're they're going to Maryland, and uh, they're welcoming Washington to, to Iowa City. So among some of the other teams. Yeah, I uh, uh, honestly just logged into here and I just got out of the shower and didn't even know this was uh, a thing. So I'm kind of looking at for the first time myself, too. So next year's opponents uh, at home, McKinney Stadium, will be Nebraska, Northwestern, Wisconsin. So uh, three usual Big Ten and West rivals and Washington at home. Five away games next year, Maryland, Michigan State, Minnesota, Ohio State. And the Hawkeyes are going to the Rose Bowl, Scott. At UCLA, back to the Rose Bowl next year. Yeah. Um, kind of interesting to scan this a little bit. It looks like we don't get to go to Washington until uh, Seattle to 2026, so I got to stay on the beat at least that long. And then Oregon in 2027, uh, USC in 25. So, you know, it looks like one West Coast trip per year for the Hawkeyes in these five-year iterations. Yeah, and that's kind of what uh, everybody's trying to do. I mean, th- th- some of the interesting parts are I kind of figured all four of those West Coast teams would be permanent rivals, but they decided to keep their primary rivals, you know, USC, UCLA, and then Oregon, Washington, but not all four are one another. So they've got some interesting trips ahead. Um, they're kind of like Iowa going to the West Coast. They're only going to go to the far East Coast uh, about once per year, twice per year for, in a couple of years. But uh no, for, for Iowa to, to be able to go to Michigan State again. Um, that hasn't happened since 2017. So, yay, we're going to Lansing. That's that's a pretty good spot. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the Rose Bowl. Hey, but for Iowa, it's so much better than for Minnesota. You know, first time since 78 in a regular season game and 67 for a game that really mattered. Wow. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I'm, as I'm scanning through this stuff, uh Iowa keeps those three permanent rivals, though. So the Gary Barta push, right, to to get, keep Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Nebraska as, as permanent rivals looks like it's in place. It just means you have less variety in those other six games at this point. And it also looks like nine-game conference schedules, at least for the next five years. Oh, yeah, and that was never going to change. They were going to keep that no matter what. And uh, and and really, it was all about the principles. They, they did discuss briefly that to maybe – go with a one permanent opponent, but that was really nothing nobody wanted to do. Um, you know, Michigan, I mean, are you going to go with Ohio state or Michigan state? I mean, you know, Minnesota right. with Wisconsin or Iowa. So Iowa got to keep its three. They only added one permanent rivalry and that was Oregon, Washington. And that makes sense. And Penn state remains unrivaled like they want to be. So I, I think this is all played out well. There are 12 permanent rivalries within the big 10 and um, you know, and going forward, like Michigan, really uh, hit the mother load. Uh, not only do they play at Ohio State and Washington, but then they play Oregon and USC at home along with Michigan State. So that, that that's pretty fascinating that Ohio State doesn't get uh, USC, I think, till 2026. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah. So that would be a priority. Well, maybe Jim Harbaugh will be uh, coaching the Bears next year anyway. So. <laughs> Somebody should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got balloons behind me to celebrate the new schedules, and it also yes. is homecoming week for the Hawk. Actually, it's my daughter's 11th birthday this week. Yeah. Uh, but it is homecoming this week for the Hawkeyes and a good time to wave the flag of our show's primary sponsor. Legends and Listeners is always brought to you every Thursday by Heartland Flags and Gifts, which offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S., always has fresh products, nearly every team, every sport, and every flag. They even have lawn inflatables for Halloween, which are all around my town already. 
Uh, if you want to dial up something new for your front yard this October, visit our friends online at heartlandflags.com or in store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. Uh, that was a little breaking news from today, Scott. Uh, a little newsy story last yesterday and last night. Uh, kind of thought the sports gambling stuff would be settled, but free Noah Shannon could be a real thing. NCAA Committee on Athlete Reinstatement could approve the removal of game eligibility penalties for first offenses in sports gambling by mid-October, as long as you didn't bet on your own team. A final vote is expected in late October. So permanent eligibility still if you bet on your own team. Otherwise, uh, slaps on the wrist, essentially. Uh, So, Scott, it looks like it's very promising. And Kirk Ferentz had some strong comments last night on his radio show about this that Noah Shannon will be back with the Hawkeyes for the November push. Uh, I guess some good news and bad news that, uh, you know, for him. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say when this may happen. I mean, if you're Iowa, do you try to expedite this? Because, you know, it's one thing for the wrestlers and this is good news for them too, uh, to have this all ready to go for when they start their season. But, but for him, you know, he already lost his, his appeal. Uh, he thought he was just going to be, you know, working with the young youngsters. And instead, here we are, um, that he has a chance to play. He's kind of like the Lazarus of football right now. <laughs> and he's rising from the dead. And here he is. Um, then maybe you try to get this, this his case especially, and maybe Deshaun Hanneke or something for Iowa State expedited to where maybe it's next week. You know, I mean, I know everything's finalized by the end of the month, but in their cases, this seems to be something that can happen right away. And, and, uh, but even so that this is remarkable news. I mean, we've, we talked to him on Saturday on the sidelines sitting on the bench. And I know I, you know, I had some encouraging words for him. I know you did it too, just because I always felt he was a stand up young man. He, he did the right thing the whole time. He made a mistake. He's paid dearly for that. And now if he has an opportunity, I mean, this is, this is actually good news for Iowa when we, in a year where we haven't had any since what, like May. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the sports gambling story, you know, started, yeah, early May. And now it, it's, it's five months today, I believe. Uh, if I'm, if I'm doing the math correct, when all this kind of started going down. So uh, crazy that it's come to this point. Uh, I guess, you know, uh, related to what you said, I mean, that was what Kirk Ferentz's push was as well. He's like, why do we have to wait? Why can't we get an emergency meeting, emergency approval in this case, if you know you're going to probably do it? So, you know, uh, obviously too late for this Saturday. I, I think yeah. we can probably agree. But if he could come back for next week again against Wisconsin and then uh, home against Minnesota, that would be huge. I mean, I think more realistic based on what the NCAA said would be they say late, late October, so at least you get, you know, Northwestern, you know, Rutgers, we think, Rutgers yeah. Illinois, and, and Nebraska, which, you know, bringing a guy with fresh legs and, and a lot of talent onto that defensive line in November, especially when we've been logging high snap counts, you know, at minimum, this should be a, a nice boost for this team. And I would assume, I know Noah Shannon's been doing, you know, the coaching thing now the last couple of weeks. I don't know how much he's been staying in, in shape. I, I assume so. But you'd think he's probably <laughs> back over at the strength facility about right now, uh, you know, getting acclimated and getting ready for uh, for a possible return. It's uh, I'm happy for him. I know it's it sucks for him, but I'm happy for him. And Kirk Ferentz, by the way, did clarify on his. I don't know if he meant to, but he keeps le- leaking out little bits of info that it was a basketball game. So I think we can yeah. safely assume it was the Hawkeye women uh, that he bet on, uh, and not obviously not football. Right. 
and and I think we've all said that all along that if you bet on your own team, you deserve what's coming your way. There's just there's a, a and I'm not talking about betting a a, a bottle of beer or, or dinner. You know, we're talking about DraftKings or FanDuel or Circa or whatever. You know, you whatever your choice is. But uh, yeah, he's been leaking out a little bit. But that 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 said, yeah, he had some strong words for it. If anything, though, it does show that the NCAA is a living, breathing operation and not just some warehouse in the middle of Indianapolis. <laughs> and, uh, and it allows for uh, these people to, to make some, some decisions that I think are wise. Um, you know, and then, but it's also weird, though, that they've now changed their policy twice since yeah. this whole scandal broke. And uh, but, it, you know, Maybe this is where somebody who is as politically astute in that environment as Beth Getz is, that she can get, maybe it is an emergency appeal, or maybe just resubmit the same appeal. And then, you know, they maybe they rule quicker or something to that effect. And if that's the case, I mean, does she kind of cement herself then as the AD? Because I know the support she has within the building is higher than Gary Barta ever had. Yeah, really good point. Uh, we had another topic we were going to bring up into our intro segments, but why don't we just kind of fold it into our main segment so we have a little time to breathe here, Scott. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind folks that Circus Sports is the exclusive sports betting app of Iowa everywhere, and you did a great job teasing it there, Scott. Uh, Circa is the best uh, way to bet uh, on sports the way it should be with the highest limits, lowest holds, and best odds. Download the app today at the App Store or CircusSports.com, Scott. Uh, I guess we get to endure the Bears' 15th straight loss tonight on Amazon Prime. <laughs> uh, we're six-point underdogs against the Washington football team. Um, I'm still going to call him that just because it's fun. I used to live out there. Uh, Justin Fields over under 193.5 passing yards um, is an interesting prop. Where would you go? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he threw for Washington. 300 plus last week. Yeah, well, that was against Denver. That's pretty bad defensively, and Washington's pretty good offense. I I would say the under. I guess yeah. right now with with the Bears, probably like a lot of people are with Iowa's offense, always take the under and just go that way until they prove you otherwise, and then. But you're still probably safe doing the under all the time so you <laughs> yeah, know just in the long haul might, probably yeah you know you got what 14 or 13 more games or whatever it is for the bears um if you take the under on most of the prop bets um you'll probably win 10 or 11 of the times and, and come there out ahead go. yeah all right scott uh iowa faces purdue on saturday then travels to wisconsin as we mentioned for an october 14th game on fox uh i we we touched on Iowa is four and one. I mean, honestly, uh, if you had uh, told us that before the season, you're like, okay, things are going pretty good. But now, obviously, uh, things don't feel great, even though they are four and one with the direction of the team, just because of the injuries and the the lack of progress on offense on the offensive line. So, Scott, the, our main question for today we want to discuss as Deacon Hill prepares for his first career start, are these the two most important games of the season for the Hawkeyes? Yes and yes, absolutely this is. Um, you know, four and one, as you said, Chad, you, you, you kind of got to take it in different ways. Great record, you know, record is pro- what you expected, um, but then st- and then how the performance has gone is has probably been a little bit down. Um but I think when you look at Purdue, they 
they don't Iowa doesn't match up real well with the Boilermakers. There's some areas that Purdue can attack Iowa, and specifically to me, it's it's the pass rush. They have 17 sacks thus far, and Iowa has shown some vulnerability, especially against Penn State in that area. And they're they're very aggressive, and they've got a great young mind on, on you know as a head coach and Ryan Walters, who was Illinois and uh, did a nice, obviously a great job there. And then Wisconsin, you know, the old friends from the Northeast, um, you know what you're going to get, um, although the offensively is a lot different, but you just know what the effort you're going to get. And uh, so how these two games shape up to me are whether or not Iowa is a legitimate threat to go to Indianapolis or they're just going to go to also ran bowl game. And I, I think that really will be determined by, you know, in the next nine days. What crystallizes this two-game stretch for me, Scott, is uh, we saw this exact two-game stretch back in 2021, home against Purdue on homecoming, right, Yeah, I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Hawks were riding really high at that point, 6-0, and uh, a little bit different story right now. Mm-hmm. But the injuries did start to mount, if you recall, that week. Riley Moss yeah. was out against Purdue. Um, I think Matt Hankins got hurt in that game, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so – Injuries started to crop up about this time two years ago. And what do we remember? 24 to 7 at home against Purdue. Yeah. And that was, man, that was a ugly, ugly, ugly loss. Four interceptions from Spencer Petrus. And it got worse the next week up in yeah. Madison against a very average Wisconsin team by their standards. Hawkeyes lose 27 to 7 up there. That was ugly. So that that's what's sticking in my mind right now is like, you know, repeating history. It happens so often in the Ferentz era that you repeat history. So that's what's lingering for me is you kind of get in its midseason uh, critical stretch. Obviously, it's one game at a time for those guys, but uh, you have to win Saturday somehow if you want to set up something meaningful for next week. And that's kind of where I am uh, with – with this two game stretch is okay. Okay. I'll give you this. You could lose this one and still run the table, so to speak. But if you lose this one, it's, it's highly concerning for me that they have any chance to run the table, let alone win in Madison where they're, you know, really have not been good for the majority of the last, let's see, 13, 13 years, right? <laughs> give or take. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, they, they won 10 to six, <laughs> 2015 with uh that's about how they have to win yeah yeah, right i mean you know i think we look big picture at this team and it just looks very ordinary let's be honest Um, the defense is good not necessarily great um it's given up too many yards It, it took away the ball but it's not really getting after the quarterback the offense now is a major concern is flipping the the new quarterback you know deacon hill and and so i have a real question as to can he be can be average, <laughs> you know, is, is that asking for too much? Uh, last week he was 11 of 27, but there were, you know, five or six drops, depending on, that's how I counted them. They counted five. I counted six. Uh, can the offensive line pass block? Can it run block? Can, you know, can the receivers catch the ball? <laughs> I mean, stupid little things like that, I think are really important. And, you know, when I look at this Purdue team and, there's no superstar like there was two years ago. There's no David Bell. There's no George Karloftis. 
Um, Hudson Card runs a little bit better than Aiden O'Connell, but I like Aiden O'Connell better. He's a starter now in the NFL by injury, of course. But, you know, so I look at this matchup and I think, yeah, Iowa is capable, but, you know, they're, they're also, again, they have pressure points on this team that could be a real problem. So it's going to be about how how do they put this game plan together? How do they avoid their tendencies, which are just in sirens? Um, and I went through them all and I'm right. And it's coming out tomorrow. And it's like, whoo, you got to watch this stuff, bud. And, but I don't know, you know, they're still capable of winning it too. Yeah. That's where, that's where this game gets interesting is that <laughs> they could, they could very easily, there's a, there's an easy way to find a path to a six and six season at this point, even though they're four and one, because yeah. lose this week, lose next week. Gophers, you're dying to beat you. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be reeling at that point. Right. Now, you know, we know Ferentz can rally the troops, but I mean, there's not there's not a gimme win anymore, even though you might have thought so. Like mm-hmm. earlier in the year, and you had Northwestern, Rutgers is playing better. Northwestern is at least showing some fight. And then you're, you know, you lost to Illinois last year. You lost to Nebraska last year. You never, you know, those teams are going to, who knows, be playing for their season in late November. So, I mean, to me, six and six is on the table. I don't know. I wouldn't probably go worse than that. I think Ferentz, you know, history shows he's going to find ways to win a few games in here at least. But I also would say 11 and one is also on the table, which is crazy to say. Um, I don't know. What do you think of, like, I kind of went over the worst case scenario. I think we can all envision that the way things yeah. are looking, right? But what do you think like the best case scenario is for Iowa to kind of they're not going to be a great team and they're not going to win the Big 10 title in Indy if they get there. I don't think <laughs> unless uh, Maryland like wins it and then falls, you know, you know, Tungo Viola gets hurt or something. Um but what what does a path look like for you? How do you how do you get to maybe a 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 type of Big 10 West winning season? I think it really starts with, I mean, they're going to have to go all in on Ferentz way, which is no little to no penalties, um, no turnovers, you know, and, and on your own and generate several on defense. That's going to be number one. But but I think that's not just the path. I mean, you're going to have to win some games. Not- uh, when you talk about all those things. For me, the the biggest concern I noticed off the Michigan State tape, and yeah, a win's a win, but the running game just is not there. The run blocking is not there. And I asked Kirk Ferentz this week about why it's not there, and his answer was something to the effect of, yeah, but it looked a little bit better in the fourth quarter. So obviously they are focusing on some very minor positives in this running game. And uh, they're averaging 70 yards per game rushing against power or not power five against everyone except Western Michigan. I was averaging 70 yards a game and only 2.58 yards per carry against anyone except Western Michigan. I mean, a long of nine yards against Michigan state. That's what Kirk Ferentz was pointing to. That was the big run last week for LeSean Williams. Now, the good news is they get Caleb Johnson back this week, Ferentz said on his radio show last night. So that's helpful. He rushed for 200 against Purdue last year. But it still doesn't solve the blocking issues they're having up front. Uh, I hope for their sake that Connor Colby is healthy this week because when he came into the game for those nine snaps last week, he actually looked pretty good. I mean, he, he like pushed his guy off the ball. 
And he had that big crunching block because we remember on the Jazz Patterson long run at Iowa State. Uh, I mean, at this point, they they need him. They need their very best players. It sounds like Nick DeYoung probably out a couple weeks. Rusty Feth did not play well. So they are really hurting up front right now. And even, Scott, you were I think you were standing there with me, or I, I think, and Logan Jones was talking about confidence yeah. with this offensive line lacking. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> that's not good. That's no. not good going into Big Ten West play. Yeah, you're right. You do not want to have your center talk about confidence. That's what you talk about with your receivers, your kicker, your quarterback, um, maybe your defensive backs, but not your offensive line. Your offensive line should be worrying about kicking ass. That's it. <laughs> and uh, and so if they're lacking for confidence, it's like, well, what's not giving you confidence? And what what is the problem here? And that really comes back to coaching. I hate to say it, but you're not putting your players in the best opportunity to be confident or they're not being trained well enough to be there or they're not good enough, period. And none of those three scenarios are any good. Um, I agree with you, Connor Colby. I think he's the best lineman on the team. And he's now that he's really settled at that position, he has taken off. He's um, He's been really good as a puller when they're going more counter. And they've leaned into that a lot more. And But, you know, I have question marks. Some of the time they're hitting their blocks, but too often they're not. I don't – they're not really in sync well enough when it comes to zone to really run that with regularity. But having Caleb Johnson back, you, you hope we see the Caleb Johnson we expected going into this season because the first couple of weeks were not good, and then he's been hurt. If he can get going, you know, and he doesn't have to go 200 yards like he did last year at Purdue, but if he can get going, then that changes the dynamic, I think, on the offensive stat, on the offensive side. Uh, I know everything always devolves into an offensive discussion. I realize that even with our best intentions to not dwell on it too much. But uh, when I rewatch the game, I just uh, and I know you're you track personnel groups uh, in an outstanding fashion and you've got the tendencies piece coming out tomorrow. But I feel like here's an opinion I have and maybe I'm wrong. You tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like this 13 personnel crap is just gives you no upside for big plays on offense and they're these guys, you know, without Luke Lachey in there, you're just not getting the blocking you need out of that package. And you're just, you're basically at a ceiling. Maybe you're getting a, maybe a 15 yard pass on a bootleg or something like that. You're not cracking big runs out of it, typically. Um, again, no with no Lachey anymore. I feel like it's time to, to get rid of 13. And I'd, I know there were drops last week, but I would just still like to see more 11 personnel going forward and, you know, lean on the big arm quarterback and, and maybe some bigger plays. Uh, Cause Purdue does give up some big plays. Yeah, for sure. That it's time to force it. You know, I know that's not what they want to do, but it's time to put three receivers on the field consistently. And now they're, they're at like 20, I, I counted it up 72.7%. They have at least two tight ends on the field. And, but that number has dropped only a little bit since Luke Lachey was hurt in the third game. It's gone from 76 to 72. That, you know, I, you know, I, I think, yes, sprinkle in Addison, uh, Addison Ostranga or Steve Stilianos, but don't withhold snaps from Seth Anderson or Nico Ragaini 
to, to make sure that they're on the field. And I agree with you with 13 personnel. It's just like after a while, you're like, come on, man. You're trying to force something that's not there. It's not like when you had Nate Weeding, TJ Hawkinson, and Noah Fant. You've got, you know, and, and even back then, their high was 61.8%, which means play more. So strange, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're, you're developing a specialist, you know, environment. But, you know, <laughs> <Do> but... <I? laughs> Right. But then there, then, then there are the other tendencies and, you know, not, I don't have the numbers directly in front of me on this, but it's things like, um, well, I'll give you this, that the only package where they're in both under center and in shotgun is 12 personnel, two tight ends, two receivers, one running back. And sometimes they go out wide, five wide. Sometimes they have two tights and, and whatever. The rest of them, including 11 personnel, which has been 71 snaps, every single one of them has been in shotgun. That's not been the case in the past. Sometimes they've been under center. Huh. And they've had, but now every single time wow. or every single time they've been in 13 personnel or 21 or whatever, they've been under center. It's an either or. And that's a tell every time you're in shotgun. And, and the, the thing is, when you go with 70 out of those 71 plays, 56 are called pass plays. So, you know, the others have been a combination of run, um, you know, like jet sweep or has been draw, <laughs> yeah. you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, so it's just like you're it's pretty cut and dry what you're doing and you're not good enough to do it anyway, um, especially when they know what's going to happen. The opponent. Well, can't wait to read that article on The Athletic tomorrow. Uh, good work on that, Scott. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's alarming. That's just really alarming, and that should not happen with a seventh-year offensive coordinator, a, an analyst uh, slash quarterback's coach who makes three hundred twenty-five grand a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, come on. Let's be unpredictable. I mean, try to give your, your offense a chance here uh, yeah. with some – you know, if you don't have the personnel, you got to do it with smoke and mirrors, right? And so, uh, yeah, that's really, really disturbing. Um, on that front, Scott, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, Deacon Hill, uh, what to expect in his first start, uh, because this is, you know, as we talk about this two-game stretch, you got to win this one uh, to make next week important. So what is what do you want to see from Big Deke on uh, – Saturday in his first start. He's got a little different skill set. He can move a little bit more. He's tougher to tackle. It's weird that a 258-pound quarterback has more mobility than a Michigan transfer. But here we are. It's always weird with Iowa football. So uh, what would you like to see out of uh, the offense uh, with Big Deacon Hill under center? There he is. Yes, Big Deke. A lot of great nicknames out there, by the way. Just yeah, Twitter. <laughs> right. I honestly, it's. I want to see him. I want to see him make the makeables. I know that sounds really dumb and easy, but I, you know, his interception was a play that is like the big fear that I have for him on the on the field, which is he's got a big arm. He likes to use it. And let's just throw the ball there. And I'm and he stares down the receiver the whole time he crosses the field. And then three defensive backs are in that area. That's exactly what he doesn't need to do. And that's what I've noticed him doing in the past when we've had open opportunities. What he needs to do is 
not do that. <laughs> and I know that may sound just like, oh my God, I got it. But it's true. You know, you, you want to make sure that he's, um, that he doesn't stare down his receivers, that he doesn't force a ball in that area. And he hits some of his check downs when they're available, but you've got to provide that for him too, as the offensive coordinator, you can't just give him, you know, one to two routes in a, in a region and in, in an area. So I'll be very intrigued to see what the game plan is helping him make those plays because it's not just him and it's not just the receivers. Now, if they drop it, it is, or if he makes a bad pass, it is, but he's going to have opportunities to make those plays. And that's where Brian Ferentz and John Budmeyer and, and the rest of the staff have to help him make those plays. What about you? What do you think? What do you want to see? Yeah. I, I think you got to come out throwing. Um, I don't think you can try to like wait around and try to establish the run. I would go the other way. I would come out throwing, uh, get him into the game, get him involved in the game. Uh, I'm sure they're stressing low turnovers this week, and he's probably in his own head already thinking, like, I can't throw the interception this week. I can't throw the interception this week. I got to get to my check downs. So I I don't necessarily like that. I almost just want him to to be Deacon Hill and just see what happens because I think that's where the upside for this team is, is if he kind of takes this quarterback job by the horns and you just kind of let him go, let him let him see what happens, um, let him take this team, kind of like you did with Drew Tate back in 2004. And, uh, you know, when you didn't have much of a running game either, and and he made stuff happen. It was a little bit of a surprise, and it was a pleasant surprise. And so I guess I'd like to see them come out winging it and, you know, live with that. Just, you know, it's okay. It's okay if you, if you lose the game trying to be something, <laughs> try to get your offense moving in some way. Try to get this, you know, try to make opponents respect more than – Nothing, you know. <laughs> um, right. So you might as well give him a shot. And the good news is, I feel like anyway, I don't know if the coaches have much confidence in Joe Labus. Uh, you know, I, he's not he's not a Bud Meyer guy like McNamara or Hill, obviously. But we've heard good things about Joe. He may not know the offense as well as everyone. And he, yes, he was hurt in the summer. We get asked about him a lot, but. You know, I'm not I'm not uncomfortable if he has to come into the game, and I hope Iowa isn't afraid to put him in the game if they need to. Um, heck, people were calling for him two years ago, right? So right. Uh, I don't know. I just want to see. I just want to see him let it loose here. You really don't have that much to lose this season. I mean, it's not like you're expected anymore to win. You know, go on and have a great season. I think people's expectations are in check. Yeah. Let's have some fun. And we're going to get to that here in a few minutes about some fun in the offense. Um, that's what I'd like to see, Scott. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I, I think if they can, you know, allow him to be him, you know, and one of my fears I asked about it was, okay, now you, you've you got peop, all these people in his ear. You've got Caden McNamara. He was the starter. you got Spencer Petras there who probably should be the only guy in his ear because he is probably the smartest one in the room at least when it comes to football. Um, you also have um, John Budmeyer and you have Brian Ferentz and, you know, all these people that are, that they've been there before and they can talk him through stuff. Well, you know, ultimately 
all those voices aren't going to help him unless, and then if he, if they are in his head while he's trying to throw the ball, then, then bad things are going to happen. Um, I, I kind of like the idea that you, you set up, which maybe it's on the first play. You say, run a go Seth Anderson, and we're going to throw it as hard and as far as we can. And maybe it is a, um, you know, 60 yard pass in the air and maybe it's overthrown and maybe it's out of bounds. But I think when you send that message that, we're not going to play around. We're going to come after you. Then I think that's really helpful. And, and, you know, coming back to your 13 personnel, Chad, is this team doesn't run the ball very well. And yet when you bring in 13 personnel, you bring all the defenders into a closed, confined space. And it's not hard to cover people in that area. So you're not doing yourself a very big favor. You don't have you know, you don't have George Kittle out there blocking, you know, like, you know, he would do. And, and Laporta and, and Hawkinson were good blockers, too. And, uh, and and you don't have established receivers other than Eric All that can really break out of that. So I, I, I think more in the line of let's just let's just wing it. I like that idea. But they got to run the ball, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that, that lead, I wanted to leave a few minutes for this topic because it's good. It's a good podcast topic. Uh, mm-hmm. If not now, when for Cooper DeGene to play offense? We're, I'm not. No one here. Not neither of us are suggesting he goes two ways and plays 35 snaps on offense. But how? Give him seven snaps. Give him something like that. Very simple. Uh, package of plays you and I were kind of talking about this on the side the other day and it's not hard to number one he's unbelievably talented unbelievably sharp he's been a high school quarterback put him in wildcat you did it with Tyler Goodson in 2020 and it was super effective go back and watch the Illinois game fourth quarter I will marched right down the field in a in a four-minute offense type of situation with Tyler Goodson at quarterback, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. And they put the game away. I think it was 28-14 or something mm-hmm. like that at the time. And uh, they ran right down the field, scored a touchdown. Reverses, jet sweeps, keepers. You can't tell me Cooper DeGene does not have the instincts, the skill set to run that type of thing for a handful of snaps. It's going to keep defenses off guard. I that's I think that's where I'd land and how I would use Cooper DeGene. Not saying yeah, you know, Kirk Ferentz made it sound like it's probably not gonna happen. Cooper's open to it. What do you think, Scott? <laughs> well, what I think is different than what Kirk Ferentz thinks. And, and that is they, they make offense look so hard and it's just not good. I mean, the numbers speak to that. And they've spoken to that for years now. And and there are years where the aberration is when it's good not when it's bad, you know, yards per carry is this way. And, and the way that they throw the ball, it just seems like it's, uh, you know, and remember 2016 when Matt Vandenberg had his leg broken and then our foot broken. And then it's like you average a hundred yards or going back even to 2012 with James Vandenberg, you take a quarterback with your 25 touchdowns and drop them all the way to seven. And, and, and so when you look at it and go Cooper, man, you know, we saw him in high school. Is it that hard to take the snap and fake a handoff or give a handoff and then run? You know, either keep the reads down in the passing game. You might even you know, only have one option in the passing game if you allow it at all. But 
my Lord, throw some imagination and creativity in it. And it, you know, you know, this fan base as well as anybody, Chad, you've been in around it your whole life. If, if it's second nine at the 34 yard line and Cooper DeGene gets in the shotgun, what is going to happen at Kinnick stadium? The collective <laughs> cheer will knock us out of the press box. It yeah. will be as loud as it ever was. Probably the loudest I remember was Brett Greenwood's interception against Wisconsin in 2010, and it will be louder. It will be a standing ovation. The entire state will be on its feet. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it because I want to see fans that I care about and interact with excited for a change. Just do it, man. <laughs> get the energy out there. And you could, it doesn't have to be Wildcat. I think that's, I think we both think that's probably the best way to do it because it gives you more options. It's not like he's a, you know, you could have him out there running a go route or a wide receiver screen or take a handoff, whatever. But you're honestly, you're given, you're, you're letting Cooper's instincts take over, which are the best on the team. Some, you've written about it, maybe the best, best guy with the ball in his hands since Tim Dwight. Um, and, and he, he brings that energy too. He, he's got that Tim Dwight feel to him, um, just where he can. And heck, Tim Dwight did play a little defense uh, mm-hmm. in 1997. So mm-hmm. Hayden Fry let it happen. Um, and I think Timmy had an interception. I think at one point, maybe. I think he was. Uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe I'm embellishing like Rudy here. But, <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, I, I would just love to see it just for the, you know just seeing them push the envelope again we haven't seen really any creativity in the offense at all this year you know no fake kicks anything like that we just haven't seen much it's just uninspiring so inject it inject your fan base with a little bit you know give defenses something to think about too and think about the the team i mean think about where they're sitting right now you know if if he goes out there that's going to provide a bolt of energy for them, for the line, for for whoever. And all he has to do is stand there in the shotgun, have and uh, you know, fake it, run, fake it, pass, hand it off, do it a couple of times. I mean, they they started Wildcat against Purdue in 2020 with Tyler Goodson there, you know, back in at Purdue when nobody else was watching it except on TV. Do it. Man, just do it. I don't get it. I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to put him at just wide receiver or even running back for that matter. But at quarterback, you're you're down to Deacon Hill. And what happens, God forbid, but this could happen. What happens if he's 10 of 30 with four interceptions? What are you going to do then? I think this is a way that kind of protects you. And you know what? Have Deshaun Lee go in once in a while. He's pretty good. He, he survived. And you're going to survive without Cooper next year. I, I just don't. But I know that's a counter to the rules. So Yeah, Kirk Ferentz invoking pitch counts uh, in baseball. But he, but he like, blasts that they're on pitch counts in a yeah. way. Like, why do they take him out after seven innings and a no-hitter nowadays? But then he's like, you know. Uh, whatever, like quoting pitch counts for a reason not to play Cooper on offense. <laughs> so it's, it's so weird. It's so weird. Ah, uh, yeah. And if he plays offense for a series, yeah, like you said, put Deshaun Lee and, and Jamari Harris out there at corner for one series. Yeah. It's not going to kill your defense. And it's not like, you know, with injuries. Yeah. Okay. If he gets hurt, what if he tears an ACL playing offense? Well, you got him out there in punt returns anyway. And like yeah. you've already, you know, <laughs> It's silly. 
Uh, it's silly. It's and how about this, Scott? I know we're again. We always go long, and, but if it works, if it clicks in any way, you could have a pretty good red zone offense. Put him in there inside the ten yard line. You're you're then playing eleven on eleven, which Iowa never does. Every you have a quarterback that stresses the defense because you can't just rely on him being a handoffer or a passer. He can run and and then you can roll him out and you can find things. And, you know, he's not going to be a, a pro quarterback. He's going to be a pro defensive back, but he could probably hit the open guy if there is one. You know, you're not asking him to throw it on a BB or anything like that. I just I think that would. And again, we've dealt with this program and and it's kind of in a dreary state at four and 11 or four and one. And it just you know, kind of floating along and it's not inspiring and, and offense is ordinary, you know, defense is pretty good, but offense is somewhat ordinary. And this would invoke so much energy into this, uh, in this whole system. And we could use that. And Lord knows the stories that come out of it. And that's about, it's really about us, Chad. <laughs> it's about the stories. And uh, we could be writing for days. It's like having Thanksgiving with a turkey instead of, <laughs> You know, turkey sandwich without uh, bread. Uh, hey, and Brian Ferentz would be go from being booed with Fire Brian to most popular guy in the state if he lets Cooper play offense. So there's a little political gain here if you want to play uh, Iowa caucus season. Uh, you know, win some points with the fans, with the voters, with the fan base. Absolutely. I mean, you should. Uh, we should both run for uh, for chief of staff over there. <laughs> All right, Scott, uh, we're about out of time, but uh, some pretty interesting Big Ten matchups this week. You got Nebraska at Illinois on Friday. Uh, another, you know, Iowa-Purdue is on Peacock this week. Rutgers at Wisconsin, uh, also on Peacock at 11 a.m., so that's interesting. Two future opponents for the Hawkeyes. Maryland at Ohio State, 5-0 and versus 5-0. and Michigan at Minnesota at night on NBC. Mm-hmm. I should say my pick is Iowa 2017. I just think they find a way. Uh, what are you looking at this week, uh, Scott, for Big Ten? Um, I, I think I'm going to go – I'm going to pick Iowa. I wasn't going to all along, but I'm going to go with them 20-16. to 16. I think they eke it out and and set up a showdown with, with Wisconsin. But, I, you know, they've got to figure out the, the pass rush situation, both both sides. I, I, I think Minnesota might hang. I don't know if they're going to win, but I think they might hang. Um, that's for the jug. You know, the oldest of the trophies, mm-hmm. not the best, but the oldest. And uh, I want to I'm, I'm sneaky intrigued by the top two matchups involving Maryland and Rutgers. I think Maryland has the offensive explosiveness to, to at times keep up with Ohio State. I think Ohio State's better. But and then Rutgers at Wisconsin, the Rutgers has played hard and they're physical. And they're finally got to that point under Greg Schiano where they, they can compete. And so I, I think Wisconsin's better, but I also think that this could be one of those games where if it gets in the fourth quarter and it's competitive, Rutgers might be able to pull that out. So um, I like Ohio State and Wisconsin to win, but I, I think Maryland and Rutgers might be in there for a four-quarter game on both of them. Uh, great stuff as always, Scott. And thank you, uh, fans, for supporting legends and listeners. We've heard from so many people, especially about last week's show, uh, kind of the passionate conversation we had about the Iowa offense. We really appreciate that. We appreciate you listening. 
For Scott Docterman, this is Chad Lysico. Enjoy the game Saturday at Kinnick. Join us next Thursday at 11 a.m. from the Channel Seed Studios as we'll preview the battle for Albert the Bull, as Drew Ock called it <laughs> way back in 2015. Yes. Uh, and we will talk to you again uh, here next week on Legends Listeners on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa Everywhere. Thank you.